Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything didn't move. I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast. Play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown. You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another day, and we are back for another day of training camp here as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 192. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where Chris McPherson, Ben Fennell, and I are all going to get together, talk about what we saw at the longest practice at Eagles training camp yet. Full pads, a lot of red zone work today. Let's get to it now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, guys. Well, like I said, a lot of red zone work today as the Eagles, uh, the full pads went back on. We talked about it yesterday after the 10-10-10, knowing that there's a uh, day off tomorrow. They'd go a little bit longer today, a little bit heavier, and that's exactly what we saw. Absolute marathon session out yeah. there. Like you said, longest of camp so far. Cracked about just over two and a half hours. Yep. Uh, but like you said, a lot of red zone work. And I'm trying to go big picture here to start the episode. I feel like with the offense, you're still trying to see the timing develop in certain areas, uh, especially with the younger players. But when you look at the core guys in the red zone, I'm amazed at how Zach Ertz has developed as a red zone weapon throughout his career because early in his career, you said with that size, 6'5", 250, he should be able to be more of a threat down there inside the 20. In the last couple of years, we touched on this on yesterday's podcast because of his leverage, because of his route running. He's so much more improved in that area. Uh, had a couple scores on a one near score, one in which Fran was adamant that Ertz had tiptoed his way into the. I, I was forty yards away. Zone. He was in. I don't care what anybody says. But, <laughs> yeah, but, but John, John Ferrari, John Ferrari, you know, works in football ops. He came over right yeah. away and it was like, no, nah, he, he's out of bounds. So he's uh, works with the football compliance and, and logistics. And yeah, Ferrari's on top of that. No way he scores there. But then you're adding Dallas Goddard into the mix and uh, there was even one play early on that stood out to me was just a nice little underneath throw to, to Darren Sproles yep. you know so you think of like oh all the big weapons they have Alshon and J.J. Ortega Whiteside but Darren Sproles can be effective there too and when he scored it was actually after the defense was kind of winning the day early on and you saw a nice little emphatic spike from Darren mm-hmm. Sproles being like guys it's time we gotta get this going you know when you look at the top receiving tight ends in the NFL over the last five seven years or so you know, Rob Gronkowski, Jimmy Graham, Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz. Pretty consensus group of tight ends there. Yeah. yeah. Zach Ertz seems to do it in a different way than the other guys. Jimmy Graham, you could split out wide and just throw it up to him. Rob Gronkowski, similar type of physical presence. I think Zach Ertz, in being in that group and not being that just straight throw it up, jump ball, power forward type of receiver, is that much more impressive that he gets himself open has really good hands and tight spaces, quick reactions, subtle movements, and knowing how to set up defenders. The fact that he isn't this imposing threat that you could just isolate and throw it up, I think it makes him that much more impressive. Yeah, I mean, he. we've had coaches on uh, Eagles game plan in the past where they'll say, he's the best route runner at the tight end position that I've ever had in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that just kind of speaks to the kind of In a combination with the coaching staff, putting him in positions no to be successful, some very clever red zone concepts over the past couple of years as well that play to his skill set. Um, but just the fact that he's in that group of red zone targets – 
yet doing it a little bit different than the other, you know, the other couple tight ends. So we, from a personnel standpoint today, uh, the first team offensive line, they were all back out in the field. So Jason Kelsey was back. Jason Peters was back. Uh, we didn't see much of Alshon. We saw him a little bit. We didn't see a lot of uh, Deshaun Jackson. I don't believe, I don't know if you saw anybody or any reps with him. Uh, Corey Clement did uh, make an appearance at 7 on seven. That was great. Uh, which was good. So uh, we saw some guys going in, some guys going out. It's the time of the year where, you know, they're going to try and make sure uh, if guys need a little bit of a rest, Give them the rest. Pull the pull the reins back uh, a little bit. So we saw the, the first team offensive line uh, out there, and like I said, it was all red zone. And you kind of got a sense of what they were going to do early. You go to individual drills, uh, Ben. You and I were over by the secondary uh, in the far end zone, and they were all working on communication things like that. From you know from that standpoint, close to the goal line, so you kind of understood. All right, that's good. Today's going to be a red zone day, uh, and they they started off early. It was a, a red zone period to start things off. Wentz had a couple nice throws. I see Mac. I agree with you in that. Uh, and I think it's part of it is because you had no Deshaun, no Alshon today. We saw a lot of reps where guys like Charles Johnson and uh, you know um, uh, Greg Ward and you know JJ Arcega Whiteside, a number of those guys jump in with the first unit. The communication timing wasn't always there with those yeah. guys. And you know, one guy who took advantage was Sidney Jones. No Sidney doubt. Jones, I believe, had two interceptions throughout the course of practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but had another pass breakup at one session of practice. But overall, I thought he had a very nice day. But Greg Ward, okay, we talked about him yep. two days ago, and he made a number of grabs. Taking yeah. He took advantage of those reps today. And once again, this is a guy who you look at the depth chart, and when you're, you're able to give guys like Alshon and Deshaun a little bit of a breather, you know, it's interesting to see the quality of talent that the Eagles are still rolling out the position. The question becomes – can someone like a Greg Ward, can someone like a Carlton Agadosi slide in to be fifth, sixth possible receiver on the squad? Because, again, you let's be honest, we're looking at the depth chart here, and you have Alshon, Deshaun, Nelly, you know, pretty much your top three in, in 11 personnel. You drafted J.J. in the second round. He's been great throughout camp. Who's going to be the, the fifth spot is the one that you would say is open at this point. Yeah, I mean, you have Matt Collins, who was a former fourth-round pick, obviously coming back from injury, wasn't out there again today. Uh, he's dealing with something. And then I think when you look at those guys, uh, Doug Peterson mentioned today after practice, he said, you know, Carlton Agadosi is a guy who has been under the radar that, that is really flash. He had a couple of big-time catches today, uh, you would think, with his frame, that in a red zone day that he would show up. That's exactly what he did. A couple of really impressive catches, um, but not just down in the tw- uh, inside the 20, though, because he, he had a nice big catch uh, on a fade as well. So uh, Agadosi continues to show up. Um, I thought Razul Douglas continued strong play as well on the other side of the football. You mentioned uh, Sidney Jones had that interception in that first period. Uh, Razul Douglas also had a really impressive pass breakup, and then later had one against, like I said, Alshon. We, only, we saw him in, a, I think, a couple periods, and the 7-on-7 seven seven was one where we did see him. He was matched up against Razul on the left side and then broke up a back shoulder fade to Rizul, or to Alshon in the back corner of the end zone, which is really impressive once again. Uh, you've been noticing, Ben, uh, that, that matchup, Rizul and Alshon, has been impressive uh, and fun to watch all summer. Yeah, it seems like the, uh, Rasul has really just kind of lived up to the challenge of Alshon and being an elite receiver and thinking he can lock him down in one-on-one situations and playing the ball. And Rasul's a big-looking corner as well. So, you know, Alshon's a big receiver, but I think he has the size, the type of, you know, battle with the speed and the strength style as mm. well. So I just think he's a really kind of well-rounded corner that's coming to his own right. 
uh, so DB, while we're just talking secondary, mm-hmm. uh, I thought in the seven-on-seven seven period, just as a whole, and it's tough to tell without watching film, obviously, but uh, as a whole, it seemed like the quarterbacks had to go to the checkdowns often in those seven-on-seven seven periods, and that's a that's a that's a credit to the uh, to the secondary. You know, those guys, you know, making sure um, that you know the primary reads. It's not supposed to go in the flat seven-on-seven. No, no. So uh, the secondary, obviously, across the board, those guys did a great job. You know, and when I watched the red zone sessions, the two takeaways from the defense, obviously. Obviously, everything is quicker and faster, so the defense has to have the communication down, Yep. especially against an Eagles offense with a lot of motion shifts, things like that, that lead right into the snap that you don't have time to recheck and recommunicate. You really have to be on the same page. And then on the offensive side, the decision-making, mm. especially by the quarterbacks. And everything happens really fast down in the red zone. It's almost like a mental clock in my head, the 1-1000, 2-1000, 3-1000, What's the decision? And there's a lot of times where the defense communicated well, passed off certain you know players in zone coverages, and the quarterback didn't know where to go with the football. Mm. So as everything gets kind of uh, expedited and expedited, expedited, expedited down in the uh, the red zone, there you just want to see things crisper, sharper, quicker, mm. and like you said, the communication issues with some of the other receivers that maybe haven't worked with the ones or the twos quarterbacks. You get a lot of different personnel groupings in there. Just making sure everybody's on the same page, both sides of the ball. Let's talk about the the tight end position a little bit more. We we talked about Zach Ertz and what he's done and how he's turned into such a red zone weapon. Uh, Had a couple of really nice grabs today. Uh, Dallas Goddard, I know, stood out to you in other ways as well, Ben. Yeah, his blocking is becoming one of his, I think, strengths as a player. Mm -hmm. And the more you can do in both phases of the game – and give the offense different different ways to attack defenses. And if you can hide the identity and you're an intent in the run game, and that opens up the play action, and he's not just this move tight end that we thought he was coming out of South Dakota State, and that we realize he can be a dominant blocker. He could take over those Brent Selleck type of roles in the run game. We saw it last year, and it's really starting to develop into the summer this year. And I think 2019, the sky's the limit for him being one of the premier two-way tight ends in the NFL. The big thing with him is, is it, I don't know if you were able to pick up on this, was it the same side he was having success on where you'd watch the drill the other day in practice, and on the one side, Goddard was flat out dominant. Okay, well, going against the linebackers, it was, I believe, a blitz pickup drill. Oh, right, 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 yep. And then when he went to the other side, that's when some of the defenders were able to beat him. So I wonder if going back, if it's a certain side that he's more dominant on, or uh, that, I think that probably was more coincidence and who the matchups were. Yeah. Than the interesting else. thing is him being kind of a space player at South Dakota State. Yeah, I actually think his best blocking is at the point of attack mm. when he's in that phone booth and maybe has a defensive end in front of him and he could seal him off. It's some of the move blocking out on the perimeter in space and the screen game, some of the toss action where it's a little bit tougher to find those moving targets a lot of times it's defensive backs safeties quicker players out there that's obviously a tougher blocking assignment to find and hunt those guys on the move but I did not expect him to be such a dominant and quality blocker at the point of attack against players that are stronger and bigger than he is. I think when you look at the tight end, this is just big picture, when you talk about versatility everyone wants versatile guys you know guys that can make plays in lots of different ways just because you're a good athlete, that doesn't mean you're versatile. Versatile, you know, you are a Swiss Army knife. You can be used in any way. So when you look at a tight end, if you're going to be a versatile weapon at tight end, you've got to be able to block. You have to be able to block. You have to be the. You have to be able to come out in the field, and the defense does not know for certain whether it's going to be a run or a pass. That's what makes you a versatile tight end. Not if you are a guy that can line up out wide or line up in the slot. You have to be able to do everything. Those are the players that make NFL offenses tick. 
Yep. And the different things you can ask those players to do opens up your offense. And when you can kind of exchange assignments and I can have a tight end blocking a defensive end, that means your 300-pound tackle can now be designated to block somebody else, probably somebody much smaller than he is. Those type of exchanging of assignments are what offensive football is about. Mm-hmm. And to find those matchups to take advantage of, put them in positions to be successful with assignments and angles and things like that, that's how you attack defenses. That's what makes offenses tick, and you need those players to be able to wear mul- multiple hats for you. And for the Eagles at tight end, it doesn't stop no. with Zach Ertz and with Dallas Goddard. Richard Rodgers is a very good piece, a exactly, savvy yeah. veteran there. And number three, let's go beyond that. Josh Perkins and Will Ty, I don't know where they're exactly stacking up in the depth chart at this point, uh, but Will Ty flashed some nice plays in today's That's practice. Today, yep. uh, Josh Perkins has made plays in his offense sure. for, in the past. You know He's got experience, and he can be a weapon in the offense as well. You know, this is a, a, I don't want to say an embarrassment of riches at the tight end position, but it's a very well-stocked group. And for what the Eagles want to do, obviously they're going to want to be deeper and invest a little bit more at the position. But the Eagles are well-situated where if something were to happen to Ertz or Goddard, that you wouldn't miss too much. There's a drop-off, don't get me wrong, because Ertz and Goddard, I believe, are two of the better tight ends in the league. And I think Goddard is going to prove that he's in that discussion this season. But it's not going to be such a drastic drop-off that maybe Doug Pierce and Mike Rowe don't feel like that we have to abandon 12 personnel completely. You know, this is just really the way way football in general is kind of leaning towards, whether it's NFL football, college football, the tight end position – and having that kind of eclectic mix of hybrid players. You have some former offensive tackles that are tight ends, some heavier receivers that are tight ends, some gadget players that just don't have true positional identities. You just listed all five tight ends on the Eagles. All five of them are different, and they all have different skill sets. And that's what NFL offense and NFL philosophy is about, finding unique players that could do a lot of different things for you. And that's the nature of the tight end position in today's football. Uh, so with the red zone, where we didn't see a ton of like deep balls and like those intermediate routes today, I would say my uh, favorite throw from Carson Wentz as we just transitioned to wrapping up the offense okay. uh, was. I think it was the first play of one of the first team periods. Uh, it was a deep ball off play action and Nelson Aguilar deep post route. Uh, it did fall incomplete, but it was a, a hell of a throw uh, from Carson. I, what I actually I noted that play as well. What I actually also liked, Nelly should have come up with it. I yes. did like Rasul Douglas did a great job closing and coverage yep. on it to help disrupt the play. Um, but again, it was an amazing throw. There was another throw. Uh, it was Wentz to Aguilar. It was a play action. Uh, down the right sideline where it was almost oh, like a yes. back shoulder yes, throw. Back shoulder. Yep. And it was about 20 yards down the field, and there was a perfect lane. I mean, Aguilar did a great job giving himself space so, to have room along the sideline for Wentz to deliver the ball. It was just a touch off, though, yep. from, from an accuracy standpoint. But uh, Avante Max was in coverage there, but if the ball was, was there... Max would have had no shot at making the play. So couple that one play you had mentioned, the first play in that team session, I had heard Jim Schwartz yell, run period, run period. All right, great. We're going to watch some run game. First play, play action. <laughs> it's just great that you know sometimes there's labels to each of these sessions, but it's still football. It's still a chess match, and you're going to try to keep the opposing uh, you know groups off balance. Even though it's a run, run session, we saw some play action. We saw some screens. You still have to play the cat and mouse. You still, I, every once in a while, you'll see that even like in nine on sevens where a team will like go oh, and they'll do some like pop play action exactly. pass. Like, come yeah. on guys. Like, <laughs> whether it's like quarterback <laughs> runs, 
patterns or you know <laughs> things that are just a little bit unorthodox in the session. You still have to kind of play the chess match, and you want to make sure that the defense is still guessing, even though they kind of know what's coming. Yeah, we, you don't want to be lulled to sleep, obviously. No, but what was yeah. interesting before that period, that team period started, the coaches were huddled together for a while. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? It was I like didn't a see this. good five minute conversation. I don't think it was a hydration break or anything like that. Like they called for the team period, and you're like, okay, and it's like, but you can see. The coaches there huddled like mm. you know right around midfield. I'm like, you're like, I'm like, wonder what are they working out here? You know, interesting. Is it, is it one of those things where maybe they tell tell Jim you yell run periods and then we're yeah. gonna throw a play? <laughs> you know, just a kind. I'd of, love to be a fly on the wall in some of those huddles. I don't course. know if they're saying, hey, hit us with this concept, or hey, you know what, this corner's had a rough day. Go after him. Exactly. Or, you know, I want to see this safety get challenged. I wonder if those are those, those type of conversations among coaches between the periods and just little things to work on and objectives. As far as I know, the scripts and everything, that all gets done the night before, but right. I think those conversations the, happen the, the on night the fly before. within yes, practice. Yeah, yeah right. And, you know. um, all right, so one injury scare at practice today, mm-hmm. uh, and Doug Peterson talked about it after practice. Miles Sanders, did, he did say it was a foot. He said he was good. He said he was going to have more evaluation, but uh, you know, Doug comments a little bit on it after practice. It happened in the last period. I will say that even though he didn't come back to practice, he did come over to the Jugs machine, yes. did some work there, walked off the field. Didn't seem like at least you know again by what we saw in terms of him walking off the field and the fact that he did do some extra work yep. after practice in terms of catching the ball. If we were more serious, most time those guys are going inside. You're not going to mm-hmm. see them for the rest yeah. of the seemed day. Seemed like business as usual. At the exactly. End. Yeah. Uh, so going back over to defense, we talked about the secondary. Um, you know, in the, in the seven on seven, I thought also that the defensive line. It really it seemed like again more of a defensive day. Um, which you know what, in thinking about it. It's really impressive that the defense has looked as good as it has, considering when they go 11 on 11, you're missing key contributors at all three levels. I mean, you're yeah. missing Rodney McLeod, Jalen Mills, Ronald Darby, Nigel Bradham, Derek Barnett, Fletcher Cox. Like, you're missing, like, <laughs> key players. Yeah, like, Fletcher Cox. Might yeah. be a contributor in 2019. Yeah. <laughs> I like what I've seen from that number 91 in the yeah. past. But, like, it's got something. But, the, you know, the run game, I mean, the. The offense struggled to run the ball for much, for most of the day. There was, it wasn't a ton of running today, but uh, I thought the defensive line was very very active. Yeah, we saw another Josh Sweat play. Yeah, out out there on the field where uh, you know he did a great rip move. You get by Jordan Mailata off off the edge, and you know again it's it's. And I think you guys were the ones who pointed out that he lined up more on the other side. Yeah, it seemed like he form. was lining up on the other side uh, more against the right tackle today yeah. than uh, the other side. You know, but it's. Again, it's it's positive, consistent signs that you want to see. It's one thing to flash, but the fact that he's doing this each and every day, it's it's very encouraging to see. When you factor in that you're hoping that sweats, you're going to be your fourth guy. Right. You figure at that end. Like the way I look at it is like, I don't. He doesn't need to be a ten sack guy right now. Like. Come off the bench, be a really active presence, like a, a, yes. in relief of, of Derek Barnett and Brandon Graham. Earn as much playing time as possible, but come out and be active. And every day he's been active. He's making plays in pursuit. He's making plays against the run. He's first guy to the football. Like that's what I, I like to see from a guy in a second. I year. mean, if we're talking about just the developmental arc of a second year player, this yeah. is what you want. You hear right. some rumblings of his off season workouts, really ramping mm-hmm. up in the you know in the weight room and his workouts. Come here to the practice field and training camp. We see it. He looks like a different player. Now the next step, perform in the preseason games. You're going to have some extended playing time. Uh, you know, you just being a third, fourth stringer. And then once you earn that playing time or that roster spot, you're going to give it, be given a manageable workload, contribute where you can, and give some good snaps when you get in there. 
I just think these are kind of all the steps and the recipe to being a productive player as a second year. So if you want to learn more about uh, uncertain Eagles defensive linemen, Tim Jernigan was one of the guests on the Eagles Live podcast with Dave Spadaro this week. just dropped uh, within the last 24 hours. So go check that out, Dave, with Tim Jernigan. And also famous Eagles fan Jim Kramer, who made Ooh. his yearly visit to, uh, to training camp. He's always a, a fun guest uh, to host here at the Novacare Complex. So uh, check that out, the Eagles Live podcast with Dave Spadaro. All right, guys, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Any uh, closing thoughts any parting shots here before we uh close it up i'm gonna go in defense a couple of rookie for agents okay. i'm gonna point out here joey alfieri hmm. the linebacker out of stanford yep okay you've talked about him former three four edge rusher making the transition to four three outside linebacker uh there were back-to-back plays during a red zone drill where one where he chased down clayton thorson and i thought you know could have been a sack obviously you're not sacking the quarterback uh, but then he got in the backfield for a tackle for loss, a play or two later against Wendell Smallwood. So good to see him around the ball. And the last two days, Jay Liggins. Okay, we talk about Rasul Douglas being a tall, physical corner. Jay Liggins has a similar size profile. He's about 6'2", 200 pounds himself. And he's gotten some buzz in camp because he's from Bismarck, North Dakota, same as Carson Wentz. Mm-hmm. But he has an interesting backstory where he didn't pick up football until very late. Uh, went the small school route, um, you know. Signed. Some people thought he maybe he was going to be drafted toward the end of the of the mm. 2019 NFL draft, but got signed as a rookie free agent. And it, it looks like he's still putting his game together. But there's a couple times where you see him in coverage, and you're like, he looks like he's got some good athleticism. It's just learning technique, and I think the route concepts of how to follow receivers. So, but he's made some plays on the ball. He's been around the ball nicely uh, the last couple of days. So. You know, tough hills to climb for both these guys, but at least some encouraging progress. You got anything back? Yeah, and just collectively, I just love the way this team prepares players to play. Hmm. And not just in a vacuum saying we got to get this rookie playing, but he's got to play with other people as well. So when I see Andre Dillard and Malata come in at tackles with the first team, I love seeing that because Wentz has to get used to different bodies in. And, you know, it's football, things happen, injuries happen. Guys' shoes come off in games. It's not an excuse to lose continuity. yesterday. Yeah, to lose continuity. <laughs> That's where I thought we were going, yeah. yeah. Uh, so when you see the young players worked in, and it's just great that you're preparing people to play and then playing with other people as well. So I just think this organization for the last couple of years has done a really good job in just making sure those young guys are ready. And the people around them are ready to work with the new pl- uh, new players as well. Uh, it's, it was another hot one today. Uh, the, the temperature was down a little bit, but we're getting to that point where uh, I'm surprised it hasn't gotten a little bit. We chippier. almost we, we almost, almost had a fight. got one. We, we almost, almost got one. Today. Got that one. was going to be my closing thought. Was, oh, okay. No uh, Anthony Fabiano delivered a. Just a huge <laughs> block and on play that I'm pretty sure is Bruce not Hector. legal anymore uh, in today's NFL. Oh, appeal good, back. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. A, it was a bit of a peel black block. It looks like on, okay. on a screen pass. Uh, it was late in the period, uh, late in the session, really, uh, against Bruce Hector. I mean, just leveled him. Uh, Hector didn't see it coming. <laughs> And immediately, Fabiano goes into, into the apology mode, and Hector like did not look like he was about it when he first got it up. It may have been into the collision category more than the lit him up category, but oh, yeah. it, it, it was definitely there were bodies on the floor, and there were some feet in the air for a second there. So the the impact was definitely felt. Yeah, the, the, what I love too was that you see on the sideline, like the first team defense, they're all you know because the threes are up, they're not like up on the sideline ready. They're you know practice is pretty much over for them. They're back in the in the shadows. 
And as soon as that happened, they're come running off because they're re- right. they're ready for you know for, to mix it up. But uh, you get three hundred pounds happened. coming this way and three hundred pounds going that way, and if one change, if, yeah, if one right. guy's not looking, that's kind of what it looks like. I don't think it was malicious by any means, but it was just two big guys crossing paths. Like for everyone on the side, because we were like from a media standpoint, I mean, we were like 30, 40 yards away from it. Mm-hmm. For everybody in that section to know it, we're like, whoa, like, you know, it was like, it was I saw a, a couple a guys hit. get right in the ref's face, like almost you're like right they here. want a clarification <laughs> on like, is that legal? Yeah, is that right. legal? Which I, I don't think you're allowed to block back towards the Not anymore. Yeah. No. anymore. So bit of a gray area and something. Even uh, in parallel, I don't believe you're Something they may look at in the film room as a kind of a teaching tape to say, hey, is this clean? Is this not clean? That Ed Reed hit we watched this morning, I don't think is legal anymore. We watched the... Uh, Some of those throwback hits. Yeah. The Ed oh, Reed one uh, against the Colts on the punt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was a big one. Uh, anyway, we'll, before we get down the rabbit hole here, uh, <laughs> I think that'll do it. Another show here in the books on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. The, the players are off tomorrow. No practice on Friday. We will be back on Saturday for practice here at the NovaCare Complex. So a couple days, we'll give you another day of rest. You can go, maybe if you don't listen to it on Thursday night, you can listen to the podcast on Friday, uh, get your Eagles fixed. But we will be back Saturday, no podcast Sunday because of the late practice and back Monday. So that's the next few days here on the show. But we'll see you next time here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade.